At Progressive, you can get 24-7 protection, even if you break the space-time continuum. We did it. We time-traveled to yesterday. Wait, Progressive covers us 24-7, but we just created an eight-day week, and it's 24-7 coverage, not 24-8. We gotta go back. Are you joking right now? Shh, I'm calling them. Hi, I have a question about time travel. Progressive offers more than a great price when you bundle home and auto. We offer round-the-clock protection, which literally means anytime. Coverage from Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and third-party insurers and subject to policy terms. Bundle discount not available in all states or situations. Three, two, one. Never has there been a better time to be alive in human history. If you're not feeling it, you must discover why. Join Matthew Bolton in developing and applying a framework of objective optimism toward a flourishing life of meaning, health, and happiness. Here's your host, Matthew Bolton. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Mr. Brightside. I'm Matthew Bolton. In the past few weeks, I've been talking a lot about individual morality and flourishing. Ultimately, I'm always talking about individual flourishing and optimal living. But I mean, lately, it's been uh, create yourself, crave the body you want, get away from so much social media and connection, focus on your own agenda, etc. And it's, you know, you might think, what's this, Bolton? You don't need anybody. You don't care about anybody. What about other people and all this? So with all this focus on oneself and one's own life, am I encouraging people to live on an island saying that this is preferable to living in a society? Certainly not. Uh, among the greatest values one must seek to acquire and nurture in one's life is relationships with other people. Properly defined and cultivated, human relationships can be a source of immense joy, not to mention the material benefits that come with living in a division of labor society. But I still hold that morality is primarily a concern of the individual and that the moral purpose of each person's life is to create their own highest character and to live the fullest, healthiest, happiest, uh, most optimal, flourishing life possible. And if that's true, then there remains the question as to what is the proper view of others in this kind of life? How do they play in? What kind of relationships are proper for a person who's focused on furthering his own life? Now, I've discussed this theme in other shows, in other contexts, in part or in whole, but it struck me in the face in really simple terms recently during a private lesson with a seventh grade student here in my home. I mentioned that I teach courses at the Henshin University here in Korea, but my wife and I also teach uh, private lessons in our home to mostly elementary and middle school students and high school, uh, although some uh, university and adult classes as well, but um, primarily elementary and middle school. And uh, with some of the students, uh, one of the books that I use is this uh, American school textbook here. Uh, it has lessons broken up into history, math, science, and art. And it's like a brief text about something with some comprehension. And then there's, you know, and we discuss the thing. So it's a really good exercise for non-native speakers to do kind of really native speaker type uh, lessons uh, that way. Um, and one such lesson was in this book here um, in unit nine, it was called interactions among living things. And, uh, and then there was something in it there uh, that really, as I said, struck me. So after telling us about the biotic and abiotic factors in ecosystems, and then that organisms in uh, ecosystems compete for limited resources to stay alive, the text then discusses three other types of relationships called symbiosis, which it says occurs when two different organisms form close and long-term relationships. Now, what I'd like to do in today's show is lay out those three symbiotic relationships as presented in the book, and then to discuss what struck me in the face so as so plain to grasp, yet isn't 
plainly accepted in most adults' views on proper human relationships. And as I go on, I invite you and I ask you to please uh, start thinking about what I'm saying and what makes sense to you and what doesn't. And please challenge it. Uh, Ask questions, make comments. Uh, Any discussion will help clarify these ideas for myself and for other listeners. You can do that, of course, in the comments section where you're listening now, or you can go to the Mr. Brightside Facebook page, facebook.com slash matthewbolton.ca and ask there. So thanks, guys. Now, let us go on with the three types of symbiotic relationships laid out in the text, which are mutualism, commensalism, and parasitism. And we'll start off by defining mutualism, which it says, both organisms benefit from their relationship with one another. Often, one could not survive without the other. And they add, for instance, flowers provide insects with nectar for food. Then the insects pollinate the plants as they feed on the nectar, and the plants are able to reproduce thanks to the insects. So that's a pretty classic example in nature. The next is commensalism. It says one organism benefits, and the other organism is neither harmed nor helped. Then they give the example of a remora fish, which attaches itself to sharks. The remoras feed off the scraps the sharks leave after they eat. And the remoras gain an advantage then while the sharks are not harmed. That's commensalism. The third is parasitism. And they define that as one organism benefits while the other is harmed. And they say a parasite is an organism that lives in or on the host. And they give the example of viruses needing to uh, living organisms to survive. However, they often cause damage and may even kill that organism. Now, I think this is a pretty doubtful strategy to kill the thing that you depend on to survive. Very short-sighted, I should say, in any case. Uh, But we'll talk more about that as we go along. So when I, you know, we're just reading this along and it's just pretty straightforward and matter of fact. Okay, you know, straight up science presented in English, you know, to to these students. But I asked a simple question to myself. It occurred to me, jumped right out at me. Why is it not obvious to people that mutualism ought to be the guiding principle behind what we consider morally proper human relationships? Why are moralities that hold self-sacrifice as a moral imperative held explicitly by people when what most good people really practice is mutualism? In mutualism, remember, both organisms benefit from their relationship with one another. It's a win-win. Nothing is lost. Value is added to human lives and to the world. We can see this materially uh, just by looking around. I always say this, right? Uh, Now, in the past, people might have had an excuse for thinking that life was a zero-sum game. As human wealth and human existence, that is to say human misery, was pretty flat everywhere across the world for millennia. It was very much like the view expressed in the book. Uh, In an ecosystem, organisms compete for limited resources to stay alive, they say. Now, this is still true today for many animals, But for humans, science has now unlocked so many of nature's secrets that we are able to create, not destroy or compete for uh, resources. And because of the production and trade of values, we surround ourselves with ever more abundance, extending and enriching our lives indefinitely. And the same is true with spiritual values. I went over this in detail in a recent show, Love is Not Selfless, so I won't repeat it here in depth. But the basic point is that in friendship, in romantic love, etc. I want to have these people in my life because I derive great joy from them. My life is better for having them in my life. And I hope theirs is better for having me in theirs. Uh, Our lives are emotionally, spiritually richer for having more win-win relationships of the soul, we might say, with more good people. Sounds pretty benevolent. Let us now look then at parasitism. They say one side wins and the other loses. 
Yet, most commonly held moralities in the world hold some form of sacrifice as a moral ideal. Now, granted, it's commonly held that to sacrifice others to oneself is bad or selfish, they would say. So win-lose is obviously bad. But it's generally uncontroversial to say that to sacrifice oneself to others is good or lose-win is good. But in my view, it doesn't matter the direction of the sacrifice. If win-win is possible, why do we want any part of loss in human relationships? And let us not equivocate on what a sacrifice is, trying to clean it up as something you you give up now for some gain in the future or some kind of noble giving of sorts for which you make the world a better place in some way. There are such concepts as this, but they may not properly be called a sacrifice. A sacrifice is necessarily a loss. Now, again, we talked a lot about this and love is not selfless, so I need not go on in too much detail here, but uh, for here, I'll refer to an expert to make the case for me. Uh, Mother Teresa understood the concept perfectly. She said that a sacrifice to be real must cost. It must hurt. We must empty ourselves. Now, she wasn't joking around. She took her morality seriously. That's why she's a saint. A sacrifice is about losing, costing. It's about suffering. It's about pain. It's about being empty, not filling our lives with anything. Now, you may call me preachy, but I just see this go on unchallenged all over the place all the time. And the psychological damage is tragic uh, as people attempt to live up to impossible, impracticable moral codes. And the failure is not human nature. Um, This is what they say. They say humans are too base and greedy and selfish to live up to such a beautiful code. The failure is not human nature. The failure is in the irrationality of our accepted moral codes, which aren't developed in accordance with the requirements of a flourishing human life. So we really must be clear here, guys. Sacrifice means loss. If everything I give up, regardless of what I get back, may be called a sacrifice, then the concept loses any meaning and it therefore can't be good or bad, and we don't need the concept. But let's focus again on the point that this is what real philosophers say is good, and we must take them seriously. Now, I'm not an expert in philosophy, but it's pretty clear uh, that Immanuel Kant held famously that an action has no moral import if it brings joy or benefit to the agent. And for most all commonly accepted moralities, winning of any kind is bad. Any self-gain is bad. If there's anything in it for oneself, it's tainted. This is the whole trick. Don't be in it for any wins for yourself. Even win-wins, I ask. But even if they can get away with convincing people to give themselves up for others, observe that any form of lose-win relationship is not good for even the parasite. Whichever direction win-lose or lose-win goes, remember that the parasite will often damage and may even kill its host organism. And this is why I say that lose-win always devolves into lose-lose. Such parasitical organisms may only survive to the extent they're able to find more victims. And such human relationships, as attempt to be maintained, with one side being emptied, will necessarily fail both parties after a period. Symbiosis was about long-term relationships, and so a human life is long-range, and so are human relationships. A policy of consistent sacrifice and loss on one side is no good for either side of a relationship, even the winner, quote unquote. So once more, I ask you to question it all. If win-win is possible, 
Why do we uphold sacrifice as an unquestioned virtue? And when you find the answer, you may be freed from the unearned guilt your accepted moral code has unjustly burdened you with just for seeking to live, thrive, and be happy. Now, of course, as I mentioned at the outset, I ask you to question me. While I'm claiming that these ideas are simple, I only mean in fundamental terms that they're simple. That's the role of concepts and principles to reduce the complex to something manageable for us. But I don't mean that they're simple to grasp or to apply in real life. Um, and with that, I very much invite a challenge to anything I say on the show, particularly this show. Um, once more, you can ask those questions or put your comments in the comments section where you listen to the show, or you can go to the Mr. Brightside Facebook page. Again, facebook.com slash matthewbolton.ca. I would also ask you to please share the show with anyone who you think might find value in it. Um, I particularly think younger people um, have grown up with a lot of these ideas and they haven't really been made clear. I think a lot of people, as I said, they, they, they understand they want people to go and live a good life and they certainly want their children to go out in the world and, and gain values and, and pursue a flourishing life. But yet there are, they also at the same time tell them, you know, you shouldn't, you should really think about others first and you shouldn't be so selfish. You shouldn't be so in it for yourself and trying to, you know, but that's really incompatible with gaining values and flourishing. So it's, it's kind of confused and we, we have to really clean it up. So I think if you think that someone needs this, I would really hope that you share it with that person. Um, thank you very much for all of that guys. Now lost in this discussion so far is another really interesting point about the third kind of relationship discussed in the textbook, which was commensalism. Who knew there was so much in an elementary school textbook discussion about how organisms interact with each other in ecosystems, yet there is. And there's so much, in fact, that I think I'm actually going to leave it for next week, as there's a lot of meat uh, in its own right on this subject of commensalism. And it's really its own kind of separate lesson as well, uh, apart from the, the issue today of mutualism versus, uh, you know, win-win versus win-lose. And I want to have this one sit with us on its own. So for this week... Let us be clear that the only healthy human relationships are win-win, including in romantic love, business, friendship, student-teacher, employer-employee, etc. Any relationship. Nothing less is any good, and we should not accept any part of a sacrificial relationship. So I bid you all in goodwill, seek win-wins this holiday season and beyond. I'll see you guys next time. Mr. Brightside, your time out to refresh refuel and refocus your mind and energy toward building an optimistic framework for flourishing life is good it's up to you to choose the bright side <laughs>